to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. This is the road down the Mount of Olives. And others cut branches from the trees and they spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and the crowds that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple. So he's gone down the mountain, and now he's entering the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. Down the Mount of Olives, in the temple, cleanses the temple. Blind and lame in the temple come to him. This is big. And he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant, sorely displeased. There's another translation. They found this completely disagreeable. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. In a couple of weeks we will be remembering all that Jesus went through for us, ultimately the cross. 
That's Good Friday. And then on Easter Sunday, we will be celebrating and declaring Christ is risen from the dead. And people will be echoing, truly he is risen. Christos anesti, alithos anesti. But today, we're going to back up from the Easter weekend to Palm Sunday. I know it's a couple of weeks before Easter weekend. Palm Sunday is one week before, but we don't have that week together next Sunday. So today, we're going to focus on a celebration that remembers, that recalls Jesus' first, I'll call it first because there's a second one as well, Jesus' first triumphal entry into Jerusalem. When Jesus did this thing, going down the mountain with a donkey, he was pretty much acting out with no words, I am the one, I am he, I am the prophesied messianic king, I have arrived. And he was doing it in a very loud, grandiose way. There was a prophecy 480 years before that from Zechariah 9.9 saying this would happen, and he was doing it saying, it's me. The truth is there is a second triumphal entry, and I'll touch on this just a bit now and at the end of the message. The second triumphal entry has not happened yet. It is in the future. It is in the last generation, right at the end of the age of salvation, when the age of salvation is coming to the close and Jesus will return. It will be the return not just of the prophesied king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, Revelation chapter 19, the ruler over all creation will come down to earth and put his foot again on Mount Zion and it will split into two as a sign. I believe that's Zechariah 12.4. The second triumphal entry is not like the first one. The first one he was riding on a donkey. The second one he will be riding on a white horse. That's what they were hoping for when he came and he thought, where's the war horse? Where's the deliverance from Rome? That's not what Jesus came to do in the first coming. I was listening to Laney asking and asking and asking and then turning asking into praise instead of asking. The Jews were asking and asking and asking for centuries under Babylonian Empire, Greek Empire, uh, under the Medo-Persian Empire before that, the Roman Empire. Now they're under the Roman and it's like, save Lord, where is our deliverance? Where is our Messiah who will deliver us from the Romans? Jesus came to deliver Israel and all of us from more than just human oppression. He came to deliver us from hell. Much bigger. They got, they praised Jesus and then they got very disappointed and they said he's not the one. Asking, asking, praise, Hosanna in the highest, he's not the one, crucify him. And then when he rose from the dead and ascended to glory and they understood what he did, then it became repentance and praise again. Sometimes God does not answer our little prayers in the way that we exactly think he should Sometimes he answers in much bigger ways and does much bigger things. 
The first triumphal entry was about peace. He established peace between us and God at the cross. The second one will be when he comes on the white horse. It says the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords will make war and judge. Who is he making war and judging? He is judging the nations who gathered with the Antichrist and the false prophet who gathered to make war against them and resist and rebel against them. He, they don't want him to come. They don't want him to rule. The ones who are deceived, the ones who are part of that rebellion. The first triumphal entry was for our sake and our salvation. The second one will be to remove all evil. The world says, why evil? If there's a God, then why is there evil? Oh, he has a plan to destroy all evil and establish his kingdom on earth, which will have no end. That is a plan. But now, in the age of salvation, he is saving as many as will be saved. Today, we're going to focus on mostly the first triumphal entry. And we're going to start with a bit of context. I don't know if you knew, but all four Gospels talk about the triumphal entry. It's, it's big. It's recorded in all four. And there's lots of details. If you go there and look, you can collect a bunch of details. And I did that for us to make this easy so that we don't go to all four Gospels. But in a nutshell, if I can give you a bit of a context before we focus in on making some points... Uh, Here's the context. Before Jesus made his triumphal entry that day in Jerusalem, he did a pit stop uh, in a place called Bethphage near Jerusalem. Bethphage was overlooking Jerusalem. It was on the Mount of Olives. And Jerusalem was at the bottom. And it was near Bethany at the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives was uh, about two miles 2,600 feet over Jerusalem. I count the feet that I do. It's 4,000 from my house to here, and it's about 35 minutes. So I would say about 20 minutes walk for George to go down the Mount of Olives. Maybe a little quicker because it's downhill. On that day, the crowd had become a massive procession. You know, like they were... Thousands of ushers. And it really was two crowds. There was one crowd that formed in Bethany because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and there was all sorts of people who wanted to come and see eyewitnesses. They wanted to see the one he raised from the dead who was alive from the dead. And so people were coming and they were attracted to Jesus and they were believing. And this bothered the religious leaders. It's like, why is it bothering you guys? It bothered them to the degree that they made plans to kill Lazarus. It's like, he just raised them from the dead. You want to kill him? Why do you want to kill him? We want to get this guy out of the picture because everybody's drawn to Jesus. Everyone is going to believe in him. The whole world is coming after him, John 12. And so they conspired not only to kill Lazarus, but they conspired to also kill Jesus. Because they couldn't stand how big the following suddenly was becoming. Well, the crowd merged 
The Bethany crowd merged with the Jerusalem crowd. There were a lot of people in Jerusalem because it was the annual Passover and lots of people from everywhere would come to Jerusalem and they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem and so the people went out to meet Jesus and the two crowds, the Bethany crowd and the uh, Jerusalem crowd merged together and became this huge, massive amount of people who were seeing Jesus come down the Mount of Olives that day. As Jesus was about to go down to descend, in Luke 9.37, it says this enormous crowd broke out extravagant expressions of praise, high praises. You can't make people do this. This was ordained by God for Jesus. Massive. High praises. Again, the religious leaders are like, no, don't say that about him. Don't do this. Stop treating him like he's the one. They were the only misfits that day. And prior to this, we know that Jesus humbly walked in his ministry. But at this point, you know, in the past, Jesus would say, it's not my time yet. It's not my time yet. It's not my time yet to be glorified. But this moment, at this time, before he would go to Jerusalem and eventually to the cross, he welcomed it. He welcomed the praises. He welcomed the exaltation. He welcomed people affirming him as the coming king, the messi messianic king. The purpose of this message. I'm going to emphasize in four ways from the main text that I read from you, four ways how Jesus clearly declares that he is the messianic king. Let's talk about the first way. The first way was by riding a donkey. In Matthew 21, 2, just before he went down, Jesus sends the two disciples to get that donkey. Go ahead to the village, he says, and you'll find the donkey and the colt. Untie them and bring them to me. There was a gateway teacher in the past. He goes, can you imagine this? This is when Roca Jacks used to exist on Cordon Avenue where all the bikers used to put their bikes all across the parking lot in the front. And he goes, can you imagine this? Jesus sends a couple of us to go to Roca Jacks and you see these big shiny Harley Davidsons and we get on a couple <laughs> and, and then you see someone get up and say, hey, what are you doing? And you say, the Lord needs them. Oh, okay, go ahead and take them if it's for the Lord. Hmm. Why was Jesus riding a donkey that day? You know, the reality is, if you read the Bible and look for Jesus riding a donkey, you will find him not riding a donkey anywhere except at this moment. He walked everywhere with his disciples. He used boats when he needed to, but he did not use a donkey until now, especially not a donkey and a colt. Why, why is the colt part of the picture? Why the two of them? Zechariah 9.9 speaks of a donkey and a colt. And you're thinking, oh, it's a setup. People who would think he's a fake, he's, he's just making it look like he's the one. No, no, no. There's more to this that will show you. He just raised Lazarus from the dead. And uh, 
There's way more to Jesus than just putting on an act. Yes, it's quite dramatic to get on a donkey and go down the Mount of Olives. That matches the Zechariah prophecy, and it bothered the religious leaders. But there's way more to Jesus that confirms he is the one. So this took place, Matthew says, to fulfill what the prophet Zechariah had prophesied 480 years before. Say to, daughter of, say to the daughter of Zion, that's Israel. If Israel didn't know this, then who in the world would know this? The prophets were Israeli prophets. They were prophesying to their nation. They knew the prophecies. And so if anyone understood this, it was the Jews. Say to the daughter of Zion, this is a sign they were given 480 years previous to Jesus. See, behold, your king comes to you gentle or humble, riding on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. When Jesus acted out this prophecy, the riding of the donkey through the massive uh, crowds, pretty much he was saying, I am the Messiah. I am your deliverer. Your king has come. In response on that day, as I said, they hailed him as their Messiah king, the one who would come to deliver them from Rome. It must be Rome. We're, under, we're finally going to get free. Hooray, the deliverer. He's going to free us from the oppression of Rome, and he's going to establish the glory of Israel again in the kingdom of God. That's what they were thinking, small thinking. Not entirely wrong, wrong coming. He will deal with human enemies in the future, but here he had come to save the human race. Just days later, on the Friday, they crucified him and mocked him and rejected him and declared he's not our king. You give us Barabbas. Give us the criminal. The truth is, Jesus came, as I said a little earlier, to deliver us from the work of the devil. The reason the Son of God appeared, it says in 1 John 3, 8, was to destroy the works of the devil, the one who was a murderer, a rebel, a sinner from the beginning. He brought into the human race the rebellion, sin, anarchy. God's not going to be over us. I do whatever I want. I'm independent. I define my own destiny and my own future. That is a departure from God and his government, and you become part of the rebellion. He came to deliver us from that rebellion with repentance, from sin, from death, and from the second death, which is far worse. Separation from God into an agony without relief. What Jesus himself called the eternal punishment, the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his demons, that rebellion. Don't join the rebellion. They're doomed. He's saving us out of that rebellion. That's what he came to deliver us from. Revelation 5.9 says that it was with his blood that he bought us. He redeemed the people for God from every tribe and tongue and nation. On that donkey, Jesus said, I am the promised king and I have come to deliver you. And he was focused 
on the cross. A stumbling block to many. Until an understanding of what it was all about and even a remembrance of the prophecies about the first coming and about salvation. Isaiah 53, about him being crushed for our iniquities, about him laying down his life for our transgressions, being the sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is what this was about. But was this king and savior given Israel had possession of this prophecy and the awareness of the donkey and the Mount of Olives? Was this savior only for Israel? Well, first for Israel. If anyone should be responding to him as savior, it should be them. But then beyond the daughter of Zion, beyond Israel, uh, Zechariah 9.9, yes, it was a sign for Israel. You know, you'll see him on a donkey riding down, humble, your king. That's how you'll see and know that it's him. But then in Zechariah 9.10, it says one verse later in the same prophecy that it goes beyond Israel. We see his kingship is not just only for Israel, but for starters Israel. And then it goes to the nations, the Gentiles, the non-Jews beyond Israel, to the four corners of this world. Verse 10 says, regarding this king riding that donkey today, we, he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule, his dominion, his government, his, if I can use the word, empire, will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. It's for all who will be called and invited by God and all who will call back saying, Yes, Lord, you are Lord. I have no problem echoing back. When you say I am the king, I have no problem saying you are my king. And so he acted out this sign declaring he is the ruler over all creation. And he's inviting from all nations people to come into his kingdom. That's number one. The donkey sign declares that he is the one, the king. The second sign is this thing he did when he got down the Mount of Olives. He went into the temple. It is the cleansing of the temple. That is no small deal. No one else had ever done that. And no one else would dare to do that. And who on earth has authority to do that except the king and the judge, the Messiah? He has authority. And he didn't like what he saw in the temple. He entered the temple and it says he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables and the chairs and he said to them, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And so he was cleaning up the house. Just like the Old Testament judges who were called to deliver Israel, they were appointed for that, they would start first in the house. You remember Gideon. He was called by God as a judge to bring deliverance to Israel but where did he start he started in his dad's house with Baal 
that was set up there, a false god. He went in and he tore down the Baal and the Asherah pole. He dealt with the unrighteousness in his house first. And Jesus, when he came to do this deliverance work at the cross, he went into the temple, his father's house, and he drove out everything, that all the corrupt commercialism, the selling, the dishonesty. He got rid of it all. He shut down the store. And he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of robbers. And of course, you remember the ones who would always get offended. By what authority do you do these things? And then Jesus is like, okay, answer me a question, and I will give you the answer. Was John's baptism from heaven or from earth? And they thought, oh, everyone believes John is a prophet of God. We're not going to dare to say it's from earth. They're going to stone us. But if we say it was from heaven, then he'll say, why didn't you listen to what John said about me? Because he clearly said, I am the one. The Lamb of God who takes, a sin, you know, takes away the sin of the world. The, the Son of God. I saw the Spirit of God as a sign descend upon Him and highlight Him. He is the one. I must decrease. He must increase. I'm the forerunner of the Messiah. Now that you're following Him, I'm happy that you're with the bridegroom. So they didn't give Jesus an answer because they knew that they would be trapped in their own question. And said, Jesus said, okay, if you don't answer me, then I don't answer you. Another thing that we can note about this temple clearing that he did, in, in the original context of this Isaiah scripture about the house of prayer, about the coming kingdom of God, <laughs> Jesus was putting himself in the rightful position of authority that day when he cleared the temple. We're not going to let this happen for another day now that I'm here in Jerusalem. This is to be expected. If he's the Messiah, the Messiah would never tolerate this. And so he dealt with it. But the second thing to note here, it's just another emphasis that he came for his own. He came for Israel. He is a, a Jew. He, he was born an Israelite. That nation birthed the Messiah as it was foretold that it would. He did come from Israel, but this house of prayer is not just for Israel, but it's a house of prayer for all nations. It's a global one. Isaiah 56, 6. And foreigners. That's nations beyond the nation of Israel who join themselves to the Lord. Even those nations... I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. For my house shall, uh, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. So when Jesus was riding that donkey that day and setting the temple in order and quoting this Isaiah 56, he was declaring his kingship. And this kingship, if I can back away from that moment that day, is for all people. 
for every nation, for you, for me, for our children, and all those who are far off, as Peter said, whom the Lord our God will call into this, invite, draw into this. Acts 2.21 says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, epikaleo, responsively takes the invitation and says, yes, Lord. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then in Romans 1.16, it's another all-inclusive word where it says the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, uh, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So that's sign number two. We have the donkey and then we have the temple, how Jesus puts it in order, clears everyone out. And then in the temple, something happens that is another sign. We have Lazarus raised from the dead, and now we have more miraculous things confirming that he is the one. He did it right in the temple. The third way that Jesus declared that he was king was by healing the lame and the blind that were brought to him. Right in the temple. <laughs> If, like, where do you get this authority? And it's like, oh, man, the blind are seeing. Oh, man, the lame are walking. Like, these guys, they, they were so hard-hearted. People can be so hard-hearted. It can be plain and evident with all the proof in front of you. But if your heart is heart, no, he's not the one. No, I don't want Jesus. Well, that was the religious leaders. It says, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Remember John the Baptist, when he was in jail at this point, he sent out a message. You know, he's in that dungeon. He's under Herod. He's going to be killed, but he's, he's sending out a delegate, and they're bringing a question to Jesus, and he just needed to be sure. He needed to hear some words from the Lord, and he asks this question. Are you the expected one? Are you the Messiah, the King, the one we're expecting? Or should we expect someone else? And Jesus sends back an answer. Matthew 11:4. It was a confirmation response that John could hear that and be at peace. He says, go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. These are messianic confirmations. Signs that are pointing. He's the one. He's the one. He's the one. And then he ends by saying, Blessed is the one who is not offended because of me. John wasn't offended, but the religious leaders, they were offended, sorely displeased, as I said before. We'll finish with this point. So we got the donkey. We got the cleansing of the temple. We got the healing of the blind and the lame. <laughs> we got Lazarus just before. Jesus finally declares his kingship here by his response to all the extravagant 
praises that broke out. How did he respond? In Matthew 21, 8, it says the, that very large crowd that spread their cloaks on the road, they also took branches and they pretty much paved the road on the Mount of Olives down to Jerusalem. It was like they created a royal carpet for the king. An inauguration, cheering as he's going down. And it wasn't just plain, woo-hoo. It had words affirming him. They shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. This is the prophesied one in the line, the bloodline of David, who would be king. This is him. Hosanna! They were quoting Psalm 118. It was a psalm that the Jews quoted a lot, looking forward to the coming king, to the Messiah. It was a prayer, if you go read it. It was, uh, save us, we pray, O Lord. That's what Hosanna means. Save us, save us, save us. It's been centuries under oppression and empire. Save us, save us, send the Messiah. That day, they weren't saying, save us. That day, it wasn't a cry for help. That day, it was a shout of praise. Hooray! He's here. He has come. It's not a prayer anymore. They're seeing and confirming Jesus is the one. And man, did that bother the religious leaders when they heard this. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's like being stranded on an island. You're stuck. You don't know how you're going to be saved. You know that uh, someone sent a message and told you a ship is going to be coming and you've been waiting and you draw these big letters, S-O-S, save us, save us, save us. And then you see the ship coming and you're not saying S-O-S, you're saying, yeah, they're coming to get us. That's what they were doing when they saw Jesus that day. Something about the disciples in John chapter 12, it says, at first, his disciples did not understand all this, all this stuff that was happening, that they all this extravagant praise, they're like, wow. Only after Jesus was glorified, it says in John 12, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. You can't force people to do this, as I told you. It broke out, and they're like, this was it. It was written, and it happened, and they did this. In Matthew 21, 15, even the kids started echoing what the older generation was doing. They were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, and they were doing it inside the temple. If there's something that was going to bother the religious leaders, you'd have a bunch of kids in there saying, Hosanna! God has saved us! The deliverer is here! Bug them. They were bothered by Lazarus and the drawing to Jesus. They were bothered by the donkey thing as a declaration that he is the coming king. They were bothered by the clearing of the temple. What authority do you have to do this? They were bothered by him healing the blind and the lame, and they were bothered by all these praises. They couldn't believe that Jesus was not correcting them. Stop the kids at least. Stop them. This is wrong. 
21.16, this is what they said to Jesus. Do you not hear what these are saying? And Jesus replied with one word. Yes. Yes. And then he affirms it. He says, and it's based on Psalm 8. He quoted Psalm 8. He goes, have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself. Prepare, the Greek word is katartizo. You have equipped them, anointed them, <laughs> made them able to speak praises that are fitting for who I am. They have completed things with this praise, and I'm not taking it away. And if I were to tell them to stop, the rocks would cry out praises to me because I am the Messiah. I am the King. It was inspired, ordained, supernatural, I believe, praise that broke out. You, you can't make that kind of heavy-duty praise happen. It was God all over it. In closing, the Bible says that Jesus will come again. Jesus himself said, I'm coming back. Uh, I'm going to return. The Bible reveals he will come back with a white horse. As I said, he will come to establish his kingdom. He will judge his enemies. His kingdom will have no end. And all Jesus says in simple words is, be ready. Be watching for me. I'm coming, and be ready on how you live, how you believe, how you respond to all of this. And so I ask you a question, and you'll probably say yes. As you've been working out your salvation and walk with God, the question is, are you ready? And you'll say, I believe in Jesus. I receive his assurance that he is my defender and my savior on the day of accounts. He will with favor say, come to my side, the side of my favor. I'm covered by Jesus. There's no condemnation for me in Christ Jesus. So you might be saying, yes, I am ready and I take Jesus serious and I've made it to this point and God will make me able to finish my walk on earth. But the second question is, are they ready? Is who ready? The people around you, family members, they are the closest in your relationships, the people within your relational sphere of influence, people you can make Jesus known to as a witness for Christ by the power and clothing of the Holy Spirit who enables you to boldly and courageously testify about Jesus. You might say that's for evangelists. That's for witnesses. Witnesses testify. Their testimonies are saving testimonies. As you go, you are to be witnesses for Christ everywhere you go. The Bible tells us in Matthew 28, if you want to know the Great Commission, I was talking to Rob about it. I said, you know what the Greek word for go is? Go and make disciples. Go and teach people the little that you might know or the lots that you know. Share something that you know that is true about Jesus. The word go is porevome. Poria is destiny. Porevome, and it's not even an English word, is to destinate myself, my destiny is to keep 
going and keep sharing and keep testifying and opening a scripture to you and sharing a little bit of truth with you and at work saying something that's true about Jesus and the kingdom of God. And as I go, wherever I go, I am to actually disciple. They don't know. They can't teach themselves. You have, even if you don't believe you're a great teacher, you might be a smaller teacher. You have something to share with everyone along the way as you go. And do not underestimate the power of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit who will reach them. So I leave you with that as an application. If you're ready and others are not ready around you, go and make disciples.